Good morning, Camp CC. We just want to take a moment to welcome you this morning and to acknowledge that even though the world may seem like it's going crazy, we do not have our faith in the world, but we have our faith in the Lord. Will you join me in worshiping this morning?
God, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to go through the pain and the suffering so that we could experience forgiveness and freedom. The enemy thought he won by you dying on that cross, Jesus, but you rose from the dead, giving victory over sin and death. Amen. Behold the Lamb upon the cross who takes away the sins of all forgiveness flow from hands and feet as violence needs the Prince of Peace behold the
about two months ago, Kelly and I discovered a leak in our bathroom. And because it backs up to our other bathroom, it caused damage in both bathrooms. So two, both of our main bathrooms are needing to be redone. So we had insurance and mitigation come in. Our walls are ripped open. No shower, shower was taken out, vanities taken out. So we only have certain things in each bathroom that are functioning right now. No doors on either bathrooms, just sheets of plastic. Um, and our bedroom too, and our floor is damaged, so that's torn up. And uh, so we've been working with insurance, we've been working with contractors, we've been trying to pick out materials. In the process of all this in these two months, we've been trying to keep our life going in our normal routine. We've experienced a loss in those two months. We've also been getting this cold that's going around that just kind of wipes your body out, you know? And I just found myself feeling so overwhelmed, so stressed, and just completely depleted. A little over a week ago, Kelly asked me to speak on gratitude. And with all these things going on, I was like, oh gosh, that's gonna be a task. <laughs> um, but there was one night this week, everybody else was in bed. I'm usually the last one to go to bed and to be asleep. And I was just sitting in the silence and I was wondering, what am I gonna say? What, how can I experience gratitude right now with all these things going on when I feel so physically, mentally depleted? When I feel like I have, my house is dirty, it's a mess. I feel like I don't have privacy. And um, I decided to take a few deep breaths, center myself a little bit, and then think about what, what am I grateful for right now? So I started to think, even though my bathrooms are torn apart, I have no doors on my, in my room or on my bathrooms, I still have a roof over my head. I still have clothes on my back. I have food to eat. I have a little 10-month-old puppy who bounces around our house, sometimes causing trouble, but she does bring us joy. I have two amazing kids and a, a wonderful, amazing husband who's walking through this with me. And so in that, I can find peace, I can find joy, and I can praise the Lord in what he has provided to us during this time. This next song is about a humble offering of thanksgiving to an infinite God. Gratitude means taking the time to remember the things that are good in your life and expressing those feelings of joy and praise. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus.
I'd just like to take a moment to invite anybody up to the stage to kneel and pray if they're feeling hurt or broken, or they just, you guys want to express some gratitude to the Lord this morning for this next song. Lord, I thank you so much for your mercies that are new every morning and how you've prepared our hearts to come into your presence this morning and praise you and to express our gratitude. And even if we're hurt and even if we're broken, we'll nail at you this morning in praise. Amen. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to
Good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. If you don't know who I am, you're probably new here. My name is David Hurtado, and I'm the lead pastor here. So glad that you're with us today, and a great time to be a part of CamCC. We got a lot of things going on right now, and, uh, you know, I think we have a women's retreat this weekend. I uh, We have trunk retreat coming up. Next month, we're doing a, a community impact initiative together. You're going to want to be here for that. It's going to be awesome. So just so we're headed towards the, you know, the Thanksgiving Christmas season, and it's a wonderful time to be involved and be a part of our church. Uh, so welcome. If you're watching online, maybe you're one of those ladies saying, I didn't want to miss the message. I still have a growth group this week, so I'm watching it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday before my growth group. That's awesome. You are lovely, and we love you uh, for doing that. If you're on the patio or in the video venue, thank you. Thank you so much, especially for you video venue folks, for allowing us to provide the environment in here so we can reach the next generation. Your humility is amazing. Thank you for being willing to do that for us. I want to bring up a couple things, and then we'll dive into the message together. Uh, first thing is uh, the Heart of Hope dinner is coming up November 4th. Uh, Heart of Hope is a, uh, a group that we've been supporting for like 20-some-odd years in our church. Uh, it's a mission endeavor in Romania. They do several things. We actually send a group almost every summer out there to do camps with little children out there. Uh, a big um, kind of orphan problem out there. Uh, they raise, they have a whole home where they raise these girls. And not only do they raise them, but they make sure they go to college and they give them a home even after kind of uh, adult age. And so uh, your support is needed for that. And so if you would like to be a part of that, you could register at heartofhope.org. Uh, it's no cost to register. There's a dinner, a silent auction. And again, our church has been a part of it for 20 years. I will be there on November 4th. I'll do the opening prayer. And it's uh, usually at the local country club, and it's a blast. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, heartofhope.org, you can uh, register there. And we can keep this mission in Romania going. Uh, secondly, uh, Trunk or Treat's coming up on Halloween night. So we are actually, uh, we've taken a couple years off of Trunk or Treat because uh, I think it was a pandemic one year and then last year we had to do the Welcome Projects. We had a lot going on, but we're bringing it back this year. We want to serve our community 
and we were so impressed with how many of you decided to give up your Halloween night just so you could serve our community, provide them and their children a safe place to get candy. Uh, we are, I, mean, I think we have more trunks than we've ever had ever in the history of trunk retreats at Camp CC. So we're super stoked about that. Hopefully you're planning your trunks and deciding how you will win the Trunk or Treat Championship of the World belt that you can wear anywhere on this campus at any activity that you want. Like I said, you can get baptized with it if you want to. We will baptize you with it um, in some weird non-religious way. Anyway, so um, uh, thank you for being a part of that. If you are still wanting to be involved, there's still a spot for you. I'll be leading up the security team. Our goal is that every person, uh, every bag, every diaper bag, every purse is checked with a flashlight to make sure that uh, nobody gets on our campus or on our premises without having everything checked. And so we will need security people for that. Uh, we have a security team, but we need more. We have lines. We got all that. So if you want to be a part of that, you don't want to dress up. You don't want to do a trunk, but you still want some kind of activity that you can be a part of. Uh, you could certainly uh, sign up at the trunk or treat table uh, afterwards. That's going to be a wonderful, wonderful night. So I hope you guys will join. And here's the thing. Get the word out. We need you to tell your family, your friends, anybody you know with little ones, hey, if you want a safe place to go for thanks or Thanksgiving, <laughs> don't come to our church. There won't be anything. Uh, for Halloween, come to our church. We have candy. It'll be safe. We're checking every bag. And I think that'll be a blessing to people in our community. So please take us up on that. Please get the word out. And uh, that's going to be an awesome time. Well, yesterday afternoon, uh, my daughter, my youngest, who is 12 years old, her name is Nevaeh, which is heaven spelt backwards. Do you ever know that? That's how you get the name Nevaeh, heaven spelt backwards. She is just a darling, heavenly gal. Uh, love her to death. Uh, we were watching TV together. And uh, we were trying to figure out a movie that we could watch on the Disney app or Apple TV. And we came across the movie, Remember the Titans. And she's 12 and it's PG, it's not PG-13. I'm like, this is awesome, perfect. So now I just need to convince the girl that she needs to watch this thing with me, right? I'm like, listen, you need to know your history, you know, <laughs> to try to manipulate to see if she'll watch. But actually she's kind of in a cool stage where she's kind of interested and so uh, she said, yeah, I'll watch it with you. And so we're watching this and if you know me, I'm a huge Denzel Washington fan and this period piece of racial tensions in the early 1970s where schools were being integrated. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And so I convinced her that she needed to watch it with me. She was all about it anyway. It's a profound picture that pins a popular and successful white head coach of a local high school against a black head coach who had just moved into town because schools were being integrated. Obviously, black head coach is played by Denzel Washington. And the question of the picture is, how will you get these white players to play with these black players, these black players to play with these white players? How will you get the white coaches to coach with the black coaches and the black coaches to coach with the white coaches? And how do you intermix that whole thing together? There was one school in the district that was integrating. It was supposed to be the model of how the other schools could integrate as well. How would family and friends react to this forced integration that seemed like nobody on either side was enjoying? It's a fascinating picture. The climax of the movie is when the former white head coach who had to vacate his height coach position because there's a new black head coach in town for the sake of integration, finds out that the game has been fixed 
the family, the community had gotten to the referees and they decided if we can make sure they lose the game, they'll fire the black head coach and put the white head coach back in his rightful spot. So the white former head coach finds out that the fix is in so that he can get reinstalled. So what will he do? Will he be loyal to the black coach, Denzel Washington, who took his job, even if that wasn't his goal, it was forced upon him? Or will he be loyal to his community who has decided to rig the game so he could get his job back? Well, if you want to find the answer to that, you're going to have to watch the picture yourself. Hopefully you'll do it this afternoon. I don't want to ruin the movie for you. But there's nothing that makes a great movie plot more than the themes of loyalty and adversity. Where is your loyalty? Where will your loyalty lie? And there's no better way to find out than in the midst of adversity, in the face of adversity. What will you do now? Loyalty and adversity in the same picture. It's kind of like my favorite, favorite genre of movie. Today we're going to explore the themes of loyalty and adversity, but through a biblical lens. We'll explore the themes of loyalty and adversity, but through a biblical lens. What does true biblical loyalty look like? And how do we know it when we see it? Does loyalty rule out difficulty? And how does loyalty prove itself out? What does it mean when loyalties run into complications? And how do these complications work themselves out loyally? For that, we're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20. Hold your Bible in the air if you brought it with you. Hold your phone in the air if you're going to open it up. Very good. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. We'll look at verses 1 through 23 together today. If you don't have a Bible and you're new to us and you've never had a Bible, we'd like to give you one. Head out to the left. Said pastor says I have a Bible. They will give you a Bible. Uh, and uh, it'll be yours to keep, a leather-bound Bible. We want to give you your first one. So First uh, Samuel chapter 20, verses 1 through 23 together. Overarching question today is, what can we learn from situations where loyalty is tested by adversity? Loyalty will always be tested, and usually there's an adverse moment to test that loyalty. What can we learn from situations where loyalty is tested by adversity? What does it mean when the loyalty that you thought was there is being tested in the midst of adversity. The first thing we're gonna see is that true loyalty, or you could say biblical loyalty, isn't free of complications. Do you see that? I want you to take that in. True loyalty, biblical loyalty, true biblical loyalty is not free of complications. Just receive that for a second. Just because there's complications, just because there's a rift, just because there's, you know, funkiness in relationship, relational funkiness or, 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 or disagreement, doesn't mean that loyalty doesn't exist. True loyalty is not free of complications. I want you to see that in our text in verses 1 through 10 together. I'll read. Uh, you follow along. It says this, Then David fled Naoth, in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, what have I done? Now you gotta remember, last week we looked at Saul who had sent three parties to come get David and then himself went. And all four times God thwarted his plans of trying to kill him. And so now David's going back to his friend Jonathan and says, what have I done? What is my guilt? 
What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said, Jonathan being to him, far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do. And David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow's a new moon. And I should not fail to sit at the table with the king. But let me go that I might hide myself in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked to leave uh, of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he gets angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you, if I knew that, I was, that it was determined by my father to harm you, I should come to you. Would I not tell you? And then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? We'll stop there. What can we learn from situations where loyalty is being tested by adversity? Number one, understand that true loyalty isn't free of complications. Here's the scene. David and Jonathan were under a covenant together. And David very likely is thinking to himself, we were under covenant. Why would you allow Saul to come after me without warning me? He sent three parties after me. And then finally he went himself. And you never sent anybody to warn me. What have I done? Have you come to a place of agreement with your father? Now remember, this is, just think of the internal mindset of David. What if Jonathan turned against me? What if he turned towards his father? What if he doesn't even agree with his father, but he just wants to be the prince, he wants to be the king later on? Maybe, maybe he doesn't even agree with his father, but he still wants to be king, and so he's changed his mind. Where is Jonathan at? Where does his loyalty lie? What have I done? Why didn't you warn me? And Jonathan's response, like, dude, chill, chill, bro. Uh, take it easy. Like, my father does nothing without telling me first. And so, so clearly, you're not in trouble, because I would know about it. That's how this is. I would know if my father was trying to kill you. And so you see it kind of relax. I, I got this. I got you. I, my loyalty is to you, and I'm just telling you right now that I don't know of anything coming your way harm's, harm's way, and so therefore you're not in trouble. David and Jonathan have two very different impressions of the direness of David's situation before Saul. David is saying, I'm one step away from death. And Jonathan's saying, no, you're not. And David's going, are you still loyal to me? And John's like, why would you even ask me that? There, there is conflict, there is, they're, they're missing each other. True loyalty is not free of complications. Then David comes back and says, let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me prove it to you. See, your father isn't telling you his intentions because he knows that I found favor in your eyes. 
And that's why he's not telling you anything, but the truth is, I am at death's doorstep. I'm walking the plank, as it were. There's a step between me and death. And because of that rationale, he's able to convince Jonathan to like set up a test hypothesis for this. Let's just see if we can figure out, if you're right, Jonathan, and your dad's not after me, or I'm right in that he's trying to kill me. Well, Jonathan notices David's plight, and he offers to do whatever he wanted. Okay, you convince me. Maybe he is not telling me everything. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I want you to notice as a complete side note what Jonathan doesn't do. He doesn't tell David, hey, why don't you just trust in God? Why don't you just have faith in God? Don't worry about this. Which, by the way, those are very important things. We should trust God. We should have faith in God. But it would have been very untimely for him to do that at that point. Uh, his best friend is feeling like he's at death's doorstep. He needed to listen to him and he needed support. And he says, you know, I'll do whatever you want to do. And so they set up a plan to get clarity on the matter. I want you to go back to verse 5 and we'll read it together again. And David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow's a new moon. And I should not fail to sit at the table with the king... But let me go that I might hide myself in the field until the third day in the evening. If your father misses me at all, then said David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his home city, and there a yearly sacrifice is being held for his entire clan. And then he says, if he says good, then it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that he is determined, he is, uh, know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal, deal, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant with the Lord. Let me remind you of the covenant we made. But if there's any guilt to me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And then Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that there was determined by my father to harm you, the harm should come to you, I, would I not tell you? And then Jonathan said, okay, I believe you. Or David said, okay, I believe you. How will you tell me if your father answers roughly? So the plan is pretty simple. Um, it's the new moon, uh, something that we don't necessarily celebrate in our Western culture. But new moon, new moon festivities were basically like the mark of a new month. Every 29 or 30 days, you would have this festival that would mark the turning of the calendar of another month. And those became customarily where the king would be part of the celebrating, presiding over this celebration. They were so big that just like on the Sabbath, nobody would work, nobody would work on those new moon festival days. Uh, sacrifices would be brought. It, it was kind of a big deal, and it was a big deal for the king to preside over it, and it was a big deal for the king's court to be there. Well, David doesn't want to be there because he thinks Saul wants to kill him. He's actually seen four different parties try to do that in the last week or so. And so he's thinking to himself, maybe I shouldn't sit at the guy's table. But, but Jonathan doesn't know that, doesn't even believe that. He says, let's just put it together a test to test his hypothesis. Give me permission to go to my clan for a fictitious sacrifice that's supposed to happen in my hometown. Now, it wouldn't be uncustomary for somebody to not be at a new moon festival uh, for reasons of like um, ceremonially uncleanliness. Uh, if I touch the dead body, I need to take some days before I'm um, right to be a part of these things. Another reason would be because there is some kind of family engagement, some kind of a family um, uh, uh, sacrifice that's going on. And so this is very plausible. 
that David would go to John and say, hey, Jonathan, I'm going to have to miss this one. I'll be there next month. I'm going to miss this one for my family thing. And it would be right within the realm of possibility for Jonathan to say, sure. And for Jonathan to tell his dad, Saul, yeah, that happened. And for Saul to be, okay, great, no problem. So they're setting this whole thing up. And the idea is if Saul deals with this excuse harshly, then we know that he's out to get me. But if he says, no problem, then I don't have an issue and I don't have to be concerned about him uh, coming after me. Valid reason, let's see if he deals harshly with the excuse or if he accepts the excuse. Finally, at the very end, they both remind each other of the covenant they have for each other. Um, before that, though, Jonathan, or David says to Jonathan, and again, you gotta get, get into David's mind, but if I'm culpable in some way, if you've found agreement with your father in some way, then just kill me yourself. Why put me in the hands? I'd rather die at the hands of my friend than to die at the hands of my enemy. I'm still fishing for the truth here. Jonathan, where are you? Where's your loyalty? It wouldn't be, it's not too far-fetched of an idea that you would all of a sudden switch and go towards your father because, you know, then you would get to be king later. So David is still struggling with where Jonathan loyalties lies. And he essentially says, if you find me culpable in this, then just kill me yourself. And Jonathan responds, far be it from you. Get that out of your head. I'm loyal to you. Finally, David accepts this. Go, okay, all right. Well, then how will you let me know whether or not your dad dealt harshly with this information or was kind towards the information? Now it's just a matter of how to get the information that Jonathan learns back to David. What can we learn from situations where loyalty is tested by adversity? Well, number one, true loyalty isn't free of complications. True loyalty isn't free of complications. I think that's so important. Because sometimes when we, when we hit like a rough patch in life relationally or something, sometimes we go, oh, the, obviously this is wrong because we hit some relational issues or, or, or we hit some funkiness or we, or we have conflict. And if you're like me, like, well, that means this whole thing is wrong. Well, not necessarily. Sometimes you can work it out and find out, hey, he was for me the whole time. And even though these events stacked up together in such a way that looked a certain way, that was very plausible. They also, through through correct understanding, could stack up a different way. And just because there's complications doesn't mean there isn't loyalty. It's something to remember. What can we learn from situations where loyalty is tested by adversity? Number two, true loyalty, biblical loyalty, or you can say true biblical loyalty, will find ratification. It'll it'll survive. It'll be ratified. It will will succeed, however you want to say that. I want you to see this in verses 11 through 23. Watch as I read. And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out to the field. So they both went to the field. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel, be witness when I have sounded out my father, after I've heard him out on this issue, about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed towards you, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to harm you, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, 
if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go safely. May the Lord be with you as he was with my father, if that's the case. And if I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I might not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David's from the face of the earth, and Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And then Jonathan made David swear by his own love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And then Jonathan said to, said to him, tomorrow, the new moon, you'll be missed because your seat will be empty. And on the third day, go down quickly to the place where you have hid yourself when the matter was in my hand, was in hand, and remain beside the stone heap, and I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I shoot at a mark, I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send a boy saying, go find the arrows. If, the, if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are on this side, take them, then you shall come. For as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. What can we learn from situations where loyalty is tested by adversity? Well, true loyalty will find ratification. Uh, they come back and they make a, 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 another bond, another covenant with each other. True loyalty will find ratification. David and Jonathan discuss the conditions for, for continued loyalty together. Jonathan declares his loyalty to David, but also asks for some assurances. Um, in fact, uh, he goes out of his way to even pronounce a curse on himself if he doesn't do what he's supposed to do according to the covenant. I want you to go back to verse 13. You can see that clearly. I don't know if you saw it. But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away. This is like uh, ancient uh, oath formula terminology, basically pronouncing a curse onto yourself. Uh, I'm declaring my loyalty to you so much so that if I find out that my dad's trying to harm you and I don't tell you, then let God curse me himself. I'll take the curse of it. Let the same that happens to you happen to me if I don't let you know. And in addition to that, if he does want to harm you, I know that God will take care of you like he used to take care of my dad. Pronounces a blessing onto David as well. But he asks for one thing as an assurance. He says, now I'm going to do my part of the covenant. I'm going to make sure that I tell you whatever the truth is. I know you're in a vulnerable state and you're wondering if you're going to be able to live past these days with my dad hunting you down. But now let me tell you about my vulnerability. When I do this, and then you do become king, what's gonna happen to my family? Would you give me some assurances that my family will be okay? You see, what we, we don't understand because it's ancient history, is ancient history customarily, the family of the previous ruler would be done away with. It would be completely um, annihilated. Uh, promise me that you won't do that, is the idea. 
In ancient history, they would kill all the family of the previous royal family so that there's no claim to the throne. Nobody has a claim to the throne because we've taken out all of our opponents, so to speak. As a regular and common occurrence, not only in Israel, but all ancient history. In fact, it was oftentimes the first official act of the new king. The new royal household would take out completely the old royal household. And so he says, I want you to promise me something. You're not the only one vulnerable here. I understand that you're worried about my dad taking you out, but I'm worried about my family once I give you the information and you become king one day. What's gonna happen to me and my family? Promise me you won't kill me. And promise me you won't kill my family. And by the way, this is something that David holds to. We see it in 2 Samuel chapter 9, chapter 19, chapter 21. Even sometimes when, when Saul's family has done some atrocious behaviors, David still does not take them out because of this covenant that he made with Jonathan. What's also interesting here is it seems apparent that Jonathan at this point knows that he's not going to be the king. Now he, he's the heir apparent. He's the child of the king. He should be expecting one day to be the king. But here he's in this statement is saying, I know I'm not going to be the king. I know I'm not the heir, heir apparent. And I'm okay with it. The humility in that man is amazing. I'm going to be okay with that. I just hope that you'll meet me in my place of vulnerability. I'm meeting you in your place of vulnerability. Will you meet me in my place of vulnerability as well? And it's a great place and a great foundation for loyalty. Well, a new covenant's ratified between both David and Jonathan. Jonathan will not allow Saul to endanger David. And David will not touch Jonathan or his family, or Saul's family for that matter, when he's king. And then Jonathan explains how he'll get the information to David secretly. Very simple. Uh, in a couple days, you'll be gone. I'll fill out my dad, find out where he's at. Then I'm going to go out to the back and do some target practice, some bow and arrow target practice. I'll shoot some arrows, and then I'll send my servant out there to go get the arrows. If I say, hey, come nearer, that means you're safe, David. You can come on home. My dad's not out to get you. If I say to the servant, hey, further out, you need to go further. That arrows went further than where you're standing. Then you know, David, that that means run for your life. My dad is after you. It's obviously, this was set up in such a way that even the boy who was the servant would not know that Jonathan is communicating with David. It's very covert operation, so to speak. And then lastly, our passage leaves us with this idea. And as for the covenant between us, God would be the one who is overseeing that. He'll see to it whether or not I keep my end, and he'll see to it whether or not you keep your end. And so we see true biblical loyalty even in the midst of adversity. True loyalty even in the midst of adversity. Which brings us to the big idea. It'll be on the screen. It says this. True loyalty isn't devoid of adversity. True loyalty isn't devoid of adversity, but it does render adversity void. In fact, I want you to say that with me because I know it's kind of a play on words. True loyalty isn't devoid of adversity, but it does render adversity void. True loyalty isn't devoid of adversity, but it does render adversity void. There was obviously adversity and conflict between how David and Jonathan were watching this and seeing this. Either could have gotten defensive and assumed that the other isn't being loyal. You're flipping on me, Jonathan. You're, you're starting to side with your dad. David, I can't believe you would even ask that question of me after our covenant. 
There's obviously adversity and conflict, but the proof of their loyalty to each other was the fact that they were able to work through it. Adversity rendered void because of their loyalty. True loyalty isn't devoid of adversity, but it does render adversity void. Well, I know what you're wondering. What happens in this story? Well, you'll have to come back next week so we can see how the end um, transpires and what, how Saul reacts if you haven't read that passage already. But there are some good practical helps here. There are some good practical principles here, and I don't want you to miss it. Um, some of you may be like me, and, and I'm just going to be vulnerable and honest with you. Can I just do that? And how about this? We'll make a commitment. I'll be vulnerable and honest with you about some of my own internal struggles, and you can respond with honesty as well. All right? Can you do that? I don't know if you're like me, but when difficulty arises, relational difficulty, when adversity comes my way, when, rela when there's relational conflict and we're not seeing eye to eye, when loyalty seems like it may be in flux, how do you respond? Can I tell you how I might respond sometimes? I have a tendency to hit the ground running. See ya, I'm out. Let, let me be more specific. If I'm giving you my best, and my best isn't good enough for you, then I'm out of here. Screw it, I'm out. I'm done. I gave the situation my best, I gave you my best, and yet, we're still having relational difficulty, Psh. shake the dust off my feet and keep on walking. That's how I can have an internal disposition that way. Is anybody else like that? Willing to admit it? If that's you, then here's your word today from the scriptures and from the Lord. Don't run, remain. Don't run, remain. Both words start with R. Stop running and remain. Preach to your mind, conflict is not wrong. Adversity is not wrong. Relational funkiness is not wrong. Difficulty is not wrong. And just because these things are on the scene doesn't mean that loyalty has been destroyed. Remain. Stay there. See if you can work it out. David was thoroughly internally conflicted. Why didn't Jonathan tell me his father was coming after me to kill me? Has he flipped? Has he taken his father's side on these things? Is the loyalty was definitely being questioned in David's mind when adversity hit the scene. But he remained and they were able to work it out. Complications made their way to ratification of their relationship. Some of you are questioning the loyalty in some very important places in your life right now questioning the loyalty of a business partner. You're questioning the loyalty of a long-time friendship. 
You may be questioning the loyalty of an employee or an employer. The questioning the loyalty that of a long-standing verbal agreement. You're questioning the a, a workplace agreement or arrangement. Some of you are questioning the loyalty of your own spouse. The question becomes: will you run or will you remain? Stay in the game, let it play out, leave it all on the field, no pain, no. All these things suggest that sometimes these things can be worked out. And the people who stay and remain, they're peacemakers. They're making peace. They're not just running when they don't sense peace. Adversity doesn't prove disloyalty but loyalty will prove to conquer your adversity. True biblical loyalty isn't devoid of adversity, but it does render adversity void. Stay, remain, watch God work it out. Man, I'm saying that all to you. I'm just telling you, I'm preaching to myself because <laughs> my first inkling is like, boom, I'm gone. I'm out of here, eat my dust. And yet sometimes God calls you to remain. Stay right there. Be patient. Work it out. This is work outable. Guys, this is more important than a football game. This is bigger than who's the head coach, the white guy or the black guy. This is our lives. For some of us, this is our most meaningful relationship in marriage. Stay. Remain. Work it out. The adversity sucks right now, but the double down of loyalty in the future is well worth it. Well worth it. You need to remain because Christ remained. Didn't run away from God's plan. A plan that meant that he would have to die. And why? So that he could be loyal to the Father's plan for salvation for the world. Let me just switch gears here for a second. If you're here and you're new and you're wondering, man, this is cool. Like I never done this spiritual thing before and I, I don't know what step one is. Let me tell you what step one is. I'll tell you right now. It's very simple. It's to understand and submit to God's plan. That God would send his son to die on the cross for your sin and mine. So that when Christ died, my sin died with him. And there's a great exchange that happens that he would take my sin and give me his righteousness. I receive the righteousness of another. So when God looks at me, he says, I see you in Christ's righteousness. I know what you've done past. I know what you're doing presently. And I know what you'll do in the future. But in a sense that is covered through the lens of the blood of Jesus, because all I see is perfection. But for you to be able to do that, you've got to recognize that you don't deserve God and that you're not worthy of God. That might be hard sometimes, but if he's truly God and he's a set-apart being, holy and amazing, and if you've just done one thing wrong, you don't deserve it. You can admit that. Come to Christ, place your faith on Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Believe in your heart, confess in your mouth. And the scripture says you'll be saved. That's your first step. And then whenever you hit adversity in your life, you will have somebody living inside of you to help you through that adversity. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I just wonder if you're here today. Is God doing something in your heart today? 
you want to move towards that first step to Jesus, you could do that right now. You could say yes to Jesus right now. In your heart, between you and God. Or maybe you're here and you're like, man, I get to run in so fast. I don't even stick around for problems because once they arise, I'm out so fast. I avoid them like the plague. And I need prayer because I need to stay and remain. Fight through some of these things. Not give in to my gut reaction. It's a defense mechanism. Scared of being hurt. And yet I'm losing the opportunity to find something so deep and so beautiful by running away. Father, we love you. Uh, What a beautiful picture of how to work out difficulties and conflict, how to figure out where loyalties are without being accusatory, without running away, without assuming things. Help us do it. Help us do that in our lives. We want that true biblical loyalty in our lives and in our relationships. And for the person that you're drawing to Christ, would you make it ever so clear, ever so clear that their next step is their first step towards Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. So, um, you know, those last words that Pastor David was sharing about this invitation that Jesus has, this call on our life to be part of the kingdom, part of the family of God, you know, that's called the gospel. What that means is the good news. The good news that we can be part of God's family, that we have this invitation. God is calling us into this invitation. And there may be some today that have yet to respond to that invitation. And yet this morning you're hearing it. And this morning your heart is saying, yes, I'd like to respond to that. And um, I just want to share with you that you'd be very welcome in the kingdom of God. In fact, we had a song earlier in the service that talked about with open arms being welcomed into the family of God. If you'll just respond to Jesus's invitation to do that. And if that's you this morning, we'd love to walk this journey with you. We'd love to be your church, your family. Uh, Would you let us know that um, after the end of the service here in a few minutes, if you'll go out to the left side of the lobby and let the people behind the lobby know uh, we'd love to uh, to walk this, this with you, connect with you this week, and uh, talk about uh, this journey, this exciting journey that you could be on. Also, um, we're going to enter into a time of worship through giving. It truly is worship. When we give back to God a portion of what he's given to us, we're saying, God, you're worthy. You're worthy of our trust to give back. Because um, It really doesn't belong to us, our resources. Um, We're stewards of that, and we're giving back to God what he's given to us. So there are three ways to do that. You'll see those on the screen. And um, this morning, uh, take the advantage of worshiping God in this way. Also, um, October is coming to a close, and we've got lots of stuff still going on this month. So if you will, pay attention to what's on the screen and um, see what's coming up.
CAMCC, I'm Chelsea Hernandez and I oversee activities for young families in our church. We are so glad you are here today. If you want more info on young families, you can email me at youngfamilies@camcc.net, and I'll keep you in the loop. If today is your first time with us, welcome. If it's your second time, we are so glad to have you back. If you are a first time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. Fill out our connection card or scan this QR code with your phone's camera and let us know you filled it out digitally. You can also put your prayer request on that card as well. If this is your second visit, let us know and you'll get a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. If you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps to go through the guest process. There are great things coming up at CAMCC. Be thinking about who you will invite. Friday, October 27th, Middle School Nerf War, 7 to 9 p.m. Bring your own Nerf gun, free admission for World War Nerf. Set designs, barricades, Nerf turrets, and gospel message. For more info, hit up jacob at camcc.net. Tuesday, October 31st, Trunk or Treat, 6 to 8 p.m. We want you to invite your friends, family, neighbors, coworkers for a night of fun. There will be creative trunks, a dance party, family photos, a candy cannon, and tons of candy. We really need trunks and volunteers to pull this off. If you can serve in any capacity, we need you. We can also share with you the areas we need to make this a success in our community. Come serve and come hang out at Trunk or Treat. Contact Sam at camcc.net for more info. The month of November, we will be kicking off a new community impact initiative. More details to come. To stay in the loop of what is going on at CAMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. My name is Jacob Salas, and I'm the middle school pastor here at CAMCC. What an amazing message we just heard from the Lord today. Um, man, it was so good. And what I love most about that message was how the Bible shows us through real circumstance how true Holy Spirit-filled loyalty, um, how it could stay consistent even through adversity, how it could overcome even tough times. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to applying that to my personal life. Um, if you guys have been coming with us for a while, uh, I want you guys to look at that seat next to you and say, hey, there's somebody that I can invite here and that can fill that seat. Think about who you might be inviting this coming Sunday. Also, um, if you guys need any prayer today, we're going to have a team of elders up here at the front who are willing to pray with you guys and who want to uh, who want to hear what you guys are going through. So please come on up, come on up after the uh, uh, after the send off for prayer. Uh, also, guys, World War Nerf this Friday. Uh, if you are a middle schooler, if you know a middle schooler, please send them here. It's going to be an amazing time. We're going to have all kinds of fun, but most importantly, we're going to preach the gospel. Uh, so please help us out in, in getting middle schoolers here. Also, if you would like to volunteer for the Nerf War, we would totally love to have you. And then also, guys, we have sign-up sheets for the uh, trunk or tree out in the patio. So go out um, right there in the on the concrete patio out there to go sign up and we'll see you guys next Sunday. You guys have a great day.